Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is a very famous part of the Bible. It's the one where Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So to introduce this, my introduction is the question, what is Christian faith about? What is Christian faith about? Well, here's a possible answer. Uh, Being a good person. Some people think that Christianity is about being a good person. Are you good enough to be a Christian? You Christians think you're better than everybody else and things like that. Well, I'm not going to say it's nothing to do with being a good person, but I am going to say, but. But Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty... Is being a Christian about a moral code, about rules and behavior tick boxes? Don't smoke, don't go to the cinema, don't drink alcohol, don't go to the shops on Sunday. Is it, is it, is that what Christianity is? And I'm going to say, well, sort of. I mean, the, the, the Bible does talk about a, a moral code and ethical standards and things like that. And yet, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, that's what he talked about. And then again, you might say, well, I thought Christianity was about helping others and action on poverty and care for the homeless and things like that. And I'm going to say, yes, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's a Christian thing. Um, if we're no use to our neighbours, it's not, not a very Christian thing to be. If we don't care, it's not a very Christian thing to be. And yet, is that what Christianity is about? Because Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he didn't mention any of those other things, did he? He stood up in a loud voice and shouted out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. So at least in that bit of the Bible, Jesus is not focusing on being a good person. He doesn't say, are you being good? And he doesn't, he's not focusing on a moral code. He says, have you ticked these boxes? He didn't stand up in a loud voice and say that. And he didn't also say, stand up in a loud voice and says, have you given to charity? He stood up in a loud voice and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he is using a picture of a fundamental human necessity which is drink it is fundamental isn't it because I should have said to the boys and girls how long can you last without water anybody know how long medically you can last without water roughly speaking 
yeah, two, three days, something like that. Three days, and then you're dead. Hmm? Done a little picture of it in case you don't quite get the picture. Uh, <laughs> Without water, we die. It is as fundamental as that. It's not like saying, have you got the latest fridge? It's not like saying, is your Android running 4.4 instead of 4.2? It's not like saying, have you got broadband instead of, you know, things like that. They're not fundamental. But water is absolutely fundamental and Jesus on this feast of the tabernacles on the last and greatest day of the feast Jesus stood and said in a loud voice if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink and Jesus is saying that he has come, he is speaking about a fundamental human need, a fundamental necessity. That's why he uses the idea of thirst and drink. And I'd like to look at it in just two ways this morning. Number one, the need, and number two, the provision. Okay, provision means what is given to supply the need. That's what I mean by provision. So let's look at, first of all, the need. Jesus is referring, he's using a metaphor. He, at the Feast of Tabernacles, they had a water-pouring ceremony. And again, I haven't done the homework on it. The, 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 uh, the water-pouring ceremony and the light ceremony, people said, if you haven't seen it, you haven't lived. If you haven't been to Jerusalem and seen the lights and the water-pouring. But Jesus doesn't have a gallon of water with him and saying, if you're thirsty, come to me, I've got some water here. He's using a metaphor, isn't he? He's saying this is a picture of something deeper. So when he talks about this need, thirst, he's not saying like you and I might say, I could do with a nice cup of tea. A bit thirsty. We use the, we use the same word for that, don't we? But it, we're, only, we're not talking about a, a deep need. We're just saying, oh, you know, I'm not about to die but I wouldn't mind a nice cup of tea. In fact, English people say that on almost any conceivable occasion. They have a cup of tea. He is talking about, he doesn't mean, you know, fancy a nice cup of tea, one sugar, two sugars, milk. He's not talking on that level. He's talking on the level of camels in the desert. He's talking on the level of dehydration. He is talking on the level of life and death. He is talking on the level of something which is life-threatening if you don't have it. He's using this metaphor and saying, is anybody here thirsty? Is anybody here dehydrated? Is anybody here just about about to die? That's what he's, that's what he's meaning. That's the sort of thirst he's referring to. So I say again, it's a fundamental 
objective human necessity for life and I've put in brackets spiritual life because he's using the idea of water and that powerful idea but he's referring not to water but to something even more profound spiritual life so I put the three days there water is absolutely essential and I, I think it is true to say that we can survive for about three days without water so but the the essentialness is the point I'm trying to make here I'm also saying it's objective now we do feel thirsty but when Jesus says if anyone thirsts he's talking about an objective reality I suppose we could deny that we're thirsty I think uh, it's something you're usually conscious of isn't it but he's not saying to people work up a bit of thirst and come to me he's not saying conjure up a feeling he's saying please can you not realize what your situation is I don't think he's saying you might or might not be dehydrated he's saying have you admitted it uh, are you realizing what your objective situation is if anyone is thirsty as you sit this morning are you dead are you dried up are you like the camel in the desert not much more than bleached bones spiritually speaking and I'm saying it's a human necessity so when Jesus says if anybody thirsts he's picking on something he's picking on an idea which is not a religious idea is not a particularly Jewish idea or a Muslim idea or a Roman Catholic idea it's a human idea and he's making this invitation not just to religious people but to everyone and maybe let's just imagine you had come along this morning to church and you don't usually come and it's all a bit strange to you and you're thinking perhaps this is for the, the, the sermon is for religious people perhaps he's got something about you know rosaries or whatever those Baptists do and uh, uh, but it isn't it's about thirst and everybody knows what thirst is you don't have to be a any particular religious person Jesus is addressing you whether you are religious or not there is such a thing as thirst and Jesus is saying if that's you I have something to say to you and life itself is at stake there is the idea that Christianity is a sort of hobby that some people like to do some people go to the golf club some people wash their cars other people like to go to church and you more or less choose between them but I don't think Jesus would accept that he's not saying if you're short of something to do on a Sunday morning I can offer you this 
he's actually addressing at a far more profound level, isn't he? He's saying, do you thirst? Life itself is at stake for you. Not trying to ask you whether you've got a few spare hours. Jesus is saying, this is everything. This is life or death itself. Do you thirst? And one more thing about the need, before we look at the provision. This isn't the first time Jesus has used this idea of thirst. He talked to the woman at the well in chapter four. This is a Samaritan woman with whom he got into conversation and he made a similar offer to her. In, uh, I'll read from chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Jesus said to this woman, she'd said, oh, thirst, drink? Yes, that saved me a lot of trouble if you can provide for my drinking needs. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water, meaning the water in the well, will be thirsty again. Uh, you still risk dehydration. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Whoever drinks the water I give will not be thirsty unto eternity, is, is sort of the translation of it. I will solve the problem of, of life for you permanently, says Jesus. If you come to me and drink, you never, you never die of thirst. You never get dehydrated you have eternal life so I don't think he's talking about the variable degrees of desire that Christians have although that's a, that's a proper topic in itself and I'm not even sure that he's talking about what Christians call spiritual dryness he's talking at a much more black and white level he's saying do you have eternal life or not if you come to me, you have eternal life and it never ceases. So there we are for the need. Let's look secondly at the provision. So Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So let's look now at the, the provision, which in brief... Jesus says is streams of living water. So I've got a number of points for this. Uh, number one, and I have to apologize for my pen. I've lost my original pen, and as we go through, you'll see I had to change pens. Sorry about that. I'll try and rectify that. But here's number one. Provided by Jesus Christ himself. If anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink so the first point here is the Jesus centeredness of what Jesus says uh, 
the person of Jesus Christ is so central to real Christianity. He doesn't say, if you're thirsty, come to church, although coming to church is a good thing, but that's not where he's focused. He says, come to me. So he's not promoting an institution, and he's not promoting an ethical code or a culture or a tradition. Please notice that. He's promoting himself. And he says, if you're thirsty, don't go hunting around different architectures and different buildings, and don't go looking at the different liturgies and things like that, and don't go... Look for me in person. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus provides this living water himself and I want to say don't um, if you're investigating Christianity don't stop until you've found Jesus don't, um, don't, don't be content with I found a nice group of people or don't be content with I've got into a good routine or don't be content with I quite like the sound of the singing don't be content until you've found Jesus that's very important now let me make a suggestion from before we get as we move on to the second point on the punctuation and I could be wrong on this but I offer this as a suggestion the original the original language doesn't have punctuation in it that's put in by the translators and it's traditional to put a full stop after the word drink here is a suggestion uh, put the full stop after the word me and then you get a, a two lines which read like this if anyone is thirsty let him come to me full stop new line and drink whoever believes in me comma as the, as the scripture says streams of living water will flow from within him it's just a suggestion. It has a few advantages because it puts the me twice in a prominent place. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and let him be drinking the one who believes in me. And the other advantage that it has is that it puts the focus of that quote not on the believer but on the saviour. As the scripture says, now who's the scripture speaking about? Well, I think Here's the suggestion that Jesus is saying the scripture speaks about me. What does scripture say about me? It says rivers, uh, rivers out of his belly will flow of living water, meaning Jesus, meaning the Savior. Rivers flow from his, from him. Rivers of living water flow from him. So it, it's, it prevents us from having to look within ourselves and say I'm not quite sure whether I've got living's, living water flowing from me because it's primarily referring to Christ and it's saying he is the source of living water and it flows from him and you might be interested to know that when Jesus died on the cross do you remember one of the things that happened to him he got stabbed and one of the th he got stabbed in the sort of belly area didn't he in the side and out of his side there flowed blood and water. That's just a thought. So you might or might not find that helpful. Um, 
So my second point is that Jesus is at pains to say, this is according to the scriptures. Come to me and drink. Drink those who believe in me, just as scripture said. Uh, it's an interesting point. Uh, it doesn't say that the living water is provided by the scriptures. Jesus doesn't elevate the book to the position of being the savior. But nevertheless, the book is key as far as Jesus is concerned. So when he says, he talks about coming to me and drink, he says, this is what scripture says. And it's interesting, I was thinking about it this morning. Jesus's life is constantly referred back and constrained by the word of God. Jesus did things conscious that he was under scripture. Uh, Jesus also spoke scripture, but he was himself under scripture. He did things so that scripture would be fulfilled. And I say this because people who are interested in Christianity are sometimes puzzled about the Bible. And they might say, you Christians just argue about words. It's all very wordy. To which the answer is, yeah, words are important. And it, they're important because God is the sort of God who chooses to convey meaning and indeed to convey himself through his word. Which means that if you're looking for a sort of Christianity which doesn't refer much to the Bible, I'm sorry to say you're not going to get very far because this is the, if you like, the door you go through uh, to find the Savior. You open this book and the Savior walks out of it. Uh, it's not provided by the Scripture, but Jesus, but yet the Scriptures predict and describe and root and unfold the things of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said of his words, his, my words are spirit and they are life. So if you are thinking words is one thing, life is very different, you can't put it in words, Jesus says, exactly wrong. If you want life, spiritual life and reality, you do it through the words. And he gives an example of it here, doesn't it? This very important promise he makes, it's according to the scriptures. Uh, and so I'm flagging up the essential nature of God's words for life and faith. So if you're interested in finding out about Christianity, please don't be surprised if somebody were to say to you, have you thought of doing a Bible study? Have you thought of reading in the Bible? Because that's the way you find it, you see. And I put a little footnote for myself there. You might be saying, which scriptures is Jesus referring to? Where, where, where does it say streams of living water will flow from within him? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't think there is a verse that says that in so many words. I think it's using uh, a way of speech in which a whole set of things are brought together and he said, this is what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible has got quite a bit about living water and the Bible has got quite a bit about streams flowing from certain places and I think Jesus is combining that all together and we'll try and see an example of it in a moment. But it is a question which I'm not... Uh, I'm I'm being honest, I'm not fully answering that one. Number three, how do you get this drink? 
How do you get it? Well, Jesus seems pretty clear that to drink is to come, is to believe. Not three different things, but the same thing in three different ways. How do I drink? How can I come to Jesus and drink? What do I do? I come to Jesus and I go like that? What is this? Well, look what Jesus says. Let him come to me. If you, if you follow my division of the sentence, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Full stop. There's the answer. And drink whoever believes in me. And right at the end it says, those who believed in him were later to receive. So, to have this drink, one needs to come to Jesus. One needs to believe in him. That's what it is. Uh, the act of faith is like drinking. It's like receiving. So I want to flag up that when Jesus speaks here about receiving the Spirit, which is actually what he is speaking about, he's not saying you need faith, but that isn't quite good enough, you need a second extra step. He's absolutely not saying that. He's absolutely saying, if you come to me and put your trust in me, you receive eternal life in all that that means, in all that that can be in this world. Um, you don't, you're not a second class Christian until you've taken some further step. He says you are a Christian as Christian can be if you believe in me. And we have a hymn that says the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. So I would like to encourage you to ask yourself, have I come to the point where I am putting my faith totally in Jesus Christ so that I'm saying I am in myself, I'm dead. I'm as dry as a dehydrated camel in the desert. But Jesus can supply me. Jesus can change that. I hear what he says and I put my faith in him. That's to drink. To come is to drink, is to believe. Full stop. To believe is to receive eternal life. That was the third thing about the provision. Fourth thing about the provision. What is Jesus actually offering? Now please notice he says in verse 30, by this he meant something. When he's been talking about living water and streams of water, by this he meant something. Verse 39, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. We'll come to that bit in a moment, but I'm saying what Jesus offers is as it says here, the Spirit. By which Jesus means the Holy Spirit, which we, in our nowadays way of putting it, would say the third person of the Trinity. What Jesus offers is God himself. He's saying, I can take a soul that is 
miles from water there's no watering can that will water you there's no pipe that will water you I can take you as a dried up husk of a soul and I can fill you with the life of God himself by this he meant the spirit now in John's gospel the spirit is several times referred to in impersonal terms so the spirit in chapter 3 is like wind and um, it's actually the same word wind and spirit Uh, and Jesus uh, when he talks to a chap called Nicodemus says the wind blows wherever it pleases you hear its sound you can't tell where it where it comes from or where it's going that is it that's the way with everyone born of the spirit so the wind is powerful the wind is unseen and Jesus says that's the way to understand the work of the spirit it's powerful but you can't see it and then <coughs> quite often Jesus says the, wi- the spirit is like water so he uses the idea of pouring out the spirit or being um, having the spirit poured out the word he would use would be baptized which is something you do with a lot of water dunked um, splashed immersed uh, the spirit is like water and I do have an Old Testament text which you might like to look at which I think Jesus would have had in mind it's Isaiah 44 (coughs) so here's a scripture it's looking forward to the future at the time of its writing it's in the book of the prophet Isaiah chapter 44 where Jesus uh, where God uh, the God of Israel says Isaiah 44 verse 3 I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants they will spring up like grass in a meadow like poplar trees by flowing streams one will say I belong to the Lord and another will call himself by the name of Jacob and still another will write on his hand the Lord's and will take the name Israel so the the, the the picture is of a desert so there I've drawn a desert it's dry and barren and showers of rain come down on it if we lived in a Middle Eastern country perhaps we would have seen this and suddenly with the, with the, the addition of this water up pops uh, flowers and grass and all sorts of things and the desert blooms and taking that picture that God pours out his spirit on people and where they were dry and barren they become there is life and growth and beauty and that's that's prophesied I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground they will spring up like grass in a meadow and that that's a, a a prophecy of the work of the Holy Spirit and I think Jesus is saying exactly that if you want that work in you come to me and I will pour out on you these streams of living water I'm speaking of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive but having said 
that I would like to add that the Spirit is indeed a divine person. And John, in John's Gospel, that is only made completely clear as you go further on in what Jesus says, where he says, I'll send another comforter. So that's not impersonal. But at this point, let's stick with what it says. Jesus says, if you're thirsty, then I give you water. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So finally, let's look at that last point. This provision rests on Jesus's space-time action. It says in verse 39, up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So he's not talking about something which is true <coughs> in a timeless way, he's sort of talking about something which depends on some particular action at some particular time. So at the time at which he said this, it hadn't happened yet. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So something has to happen. And I'm saying that Jesus' action in space and time, a particular place, a particular date on the calendar, he did something and John says he had not yet been glorified. Now, in John's gospel, glorification, the glory of Jesus, well, what does he mean? Well, he means Jesus being glorified, but he actually focuses it on the cross, strangely enough, which you'd think was Jesus' greatest moment of shame, that Jesus didn't look particularly nice when he hung on the cross. He didn't look particularly, uh, you know, at his best, covered in blood, dying. And yet, for John, that's the moment when Jesus is most glorious. There is a particular glory attaching to the cross. So I'm going to say that he's referring to, uh, yes, his resurrection, yes, his enthronement in heaven, but let's focus if we may or at least not forget Jesus death on the cross and it strikes me that Jesus said a particularly significant thing when he died on the cross in relation to water and the provision to people who are thirsty can you remember there's two words that Jesus said I thirst I'm pondering that the one who says, if you're thirsty, I can supply you, went to a place where he said, I thirst. I'm dried up. I'm dead. I'm done for. Because he did die, didn't he? He died everything that death could possibly be, not just physically, but with the wrath of God on him, bearing the weight of sin, and Jesus could say, I thirst. I thirst so that they need never thirst. And I want us to think of the achieved result of his work on the cross. I'm not sure that I want to try and analyze it, we may not know, we cannot tell what pain he had to bear. I think the wisdom of theology is to say, 
what Jesus did on the cross uh, was so profound and so powerful that it's always a risk to reduce it to a neat formula and think we've got the hang of it. I mean, he died for our sins. He died that we might be forgiven. But we don't, we can't plumb the depths of what that took. But he said, I thirst. We know that he laid down his life for the sheep. He laid down his life for the sheep. And we know that John tells us that as a result of that, and only as a result of that, Jesus can say to anyone who thirsts now, I on the cross as I died, as I shed my blood, as I bore the darkness, the weight of the wrath of God upon me, whatever it was that Jesus experienced, whatever he went through, Jesus says, I did all that was necessary so that you need not thirst ever again. The provision rests on Jesus' space, time, action. His work on the cross, his glorification. And therefore, we've looked at the need. And we've looked at this wonderful provision. And Jesus says today, guys, if you thirst... You can come to me and you will never thirst again. Let's sing together. I don't know if Tim is able to do this for us. Thank you.